Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. All right, good to be home. Yeah, let's get our notes out. We're a note-taking church, as Andrew says. And um, so we're going to continue on our series, Relationships, is that we're in this together. Andrew and Heather started it last week on Singles. And I want to grab a statement that Andrew and Heather said last week that I thought was just really powerful. They said, how we do we says a lot about him. How we as a community, as we as a body of believers do the we in relationships is going to say a lot about how we feel about him and about him himself. Such a simple phrase that holds so much truth. We can talk about him, we can preach about him, we can evangelize him, we can testify about him, but if when the world looks at us and our relationships are a mess, it's going to take away from all our testimony and all our preaching and all our teaching. It gives them a reason not to listen about him. It is the true of every relationship, but perhaps it's the most true about our marriages. Both Linda and I are blessed that we have platforms in which we get to walk and teach and speak and testify about Jesus. In every one, in every format, in no matter what context, our marriage always comes into our ministry. It doesn't matter what the format is. It doesn't matter what the context is. It doesn't matter what country we are speaking in. Every case, our marriage ends up entering into our testimony. Whether you want it to be or not, your marriage is a part of your testimony. So this week, we're going to talk about marriage. And I'm going to encourage nobody to check out. It needs, you don't need to check out on any of these relationship messages. Because ultimately, you're going to see that every one of these messages ultimately finds it back, its way back to our relationship with God. And we all need that, don't we? <clears throat> it's not a how-to in marriage. If you want that, you have to come to the encounter, which you're still available to come on Sunday night. But this is not going to be a how-to message. This message is simply for one purpose, and that is to elevate our vision and understanding in a, a marriage in a culture that is continually tearing it down. Do you have any time in your life that you think back on and it makes you cringe? I mean, it's so serious that it actually frightens you. And makes you possibly even physically sick. A time when you did and you almost made a decision that would have changed your life forever. That happened to me 35 years ago, 30 years ago, about two miles around the road in an apartment complex off of Allisonville Road. There are four marriage, there are four complexes on that road, three that are singles complexes, and the fourth is the marriage complex where Linda and I married, where lived. We got married young and we got married early. And all of my friends were single and I hung around those singles apartment complexes and I spent a lot of time around them and I began to question my choice. Not question my choice in Linda, but to question my choice of giving my life to just one. I remember a particular conversation with one of my friends who was living that singles lifestyle And that I was envying and I was being strongly drawn to. And he said to me this, Z-Man, it's not about Linda. It's just about this reality. It's not possible that you can be fulfilled by just one. 
That friend went on to live a life traveling all over the world and giving himself every opportunity for pleasure that he could find. There were not two more different paths in life than the path he chose and the path that I chose. And I tell you today that there's nothing that causes me to cringe more, to almost get physically sick when I think of how close I came to believing that lie. And when I think about what it would have meant if I betrayed my marriage or walked away from my marriage, it makes me sick. Every, literally everything that is now wakes, makes my life worth living is tied to that decision to stay and to be in my marriage. I would have destroyed it all. You see, I found out that marriage under God, blessed by God and entrusted to God, that it's a beautiful relationship lived out in purity and fidelity to just one. It is a reflection of an even greater relationship that we all have in just the one, the one God. This is a message about marriage, but it's even more about the one relationship that we have in God. Marriage is a living, visible, powerful testimony to the hope, the power, the promise, the joy, the fulfillment that can actually only be found in the one. And that's the title of our message today. So please write that at the top of your notes, the one. My problem had nothing to do with Linda. Anybody who knows her, you guys know that and can testify to that. I adored her. I loved our relationship, and it was strong and loving. My problem was that I didn't have a clue as to what it really meant to be married. I held and carried the world's view of marriage. And to me, marriage was a tradition, and traditions change. This was an old tradition, and traditions change with time, and they change with changing cultures. And I was believing what the world was selling, that the idea of marriage, the idea of being fulfilled in a lifelong, life-fulfilling, pure relationship with one person had come and gone. That time had come and gone. And I believe that it had pretty much been proven true and impossible as I looked around and most marriages that I observed had broken up and the ones that did stay together, my observation was that they stayed together out of obligation and obedience. The truth is that marriage built on tradition had failed to produce what it had promised. But marriage as God designed it and defines it is not built on tradition. Marriage as it's thought of today often has little understanding of and bears little resemblance to marriage, the way God sees marriage. And let me be clear, when I make that statement, I'm not talking about them out there. I'm not draw talking about the marriages of unbelievers. I cannot stand up here and draw some really strong, distinct line between them and us, because sadly, no clear line really exists. That's why we're gonna do this series on relationships. And that's why we're going to talk about marriage today. We're going to take a week to vision cast. Vision cast for marriage as God designed it. Because it can be different. We 
can be different. Those of us who know Jesus and carry the spirit of God inside of us have the chance to redeem marriage, redeem the honor of marriage, redeem the power of marriage, redeem the purpose of marriage. We can have marriages that testify to the one and a rare reflection of the goodness of God. We are here in this church. We want to carry that higher vision of marriage. And we want to reflect that higher vision to our church, to the city, and to the world. So today, together, we're going to deep dive into marriage as God sees it. This is not a message on how to get married or a message on the how-to of the practicals of marriage. It's just simply to elevate our belief in marriage. A few more comments before I dive in. When I am referring to the one in marriage, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about that there is the one person in all of the world that you could and should marry. And that somehow if you miss that one person, you've missed your soulmate and you've missed it all. I am saying the one in this term, the one that God has joined you with. And because he is in it and joined you in it, that means that his blessing and his power for blessing is fully on you with you and that one. If you are here and not married, just as Andrew asked the marrieds not to check out last week, I'm asking you not to check out this week because although we are talking about marriage, we are ultimately talking about the greater power of love, promise, and fulfillment in the relationship that we all have with the greater one, God. So let's get started. Marriage is under attack of cynicism and misunderstanding. Much like God, I believe, is under the attack of cynicism and misunderstanding. More and more people are deciding not to get married, just like more and more people are checking the none category when they're asked about their affiliation in faith. I want to try and show you that the misunderstandings many of us have about marriage are some of the very same misunderstandings we often carry about God himself. You see, I was married, I knew, and I loved my wife but I did not understand the heart of marriage. Likewise, when I was down there on Allisonville Road, I was a Christian. I knew and loved God, but I did not know and understand the heart of God. To me, God was my creator. I had separated myself from him by sin, and God had sent his, his son Jesus to die for me so that I could enjoy heaven and live in heaven forever. And I owed him because of his great sacrifices to follow his rules and reign forever. What was the purpose of those rules? It didn't matter. He was God. He got to make the rules. And whether I understood them or not, it was up to me to just follow them. These boundaries God set for me were about his holiness and had very, very little to do with me and the life I lived. What about these rules? Would, um, what, what would be the result of me following these rules? Simple. I would receive heaven and live in heaven for eternity. What did following these rules mean for my years here on earth? Well, it didn't really matter. As long as I was, because I was a stranger and an alien here on earth as I was taught. And my real life would begin once I got to heaven. That was my real home. So my job as I understood it here was to tell as many people as I could, follow the rules and tell as many people as I could about Jesus so they too could go to heaven. Are all of those truths worthy of praise and celebration? Yes. But I would submit they're also incomplete. 
It's incomplete because it does not tell the rest of the story. It leaves out the heart of God for, of me, for God's heart for me as his child. It does not capture the truth of verses and statements that God made like this through Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to me and your, my commands, your peace, it would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Or the, verse, or the truth captured in this verse, in 1 Samuel. You must not turn away from me, for you will go after futile things, things that cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. You see, the heart of God is that every boundary he gives us, he keep, everything he keeps us from, everything he holds back from us is for our good. Because he loves us more than we will ever fully comprehend. As Andrew and Heather said last week, boundaries are for our good. Boundaries indeed glorify God, but they also protect us, and they pave the way for a life of love and joy and peace for us. Boundaries are not just because we're Christians. Boundaries are because we're humans. And because we're humans and left to our own, we will mess things up. And it is a loving God that sets those boundaries in place. Do you see the two differences in the views of God? One sees God as his rules are arbitrary and simply there to be followed no matter what he says. Would he have the right to say that and stop there? Yes. Would he have the right to say, I saved you for heaven, I paid a great price for you, and in response, you will live according to my rules forever. Would he have that right? And I would say, yes. But part of the beauty of the gospel is that all that he had the right to stop there, he didn't stop there. He went on to say, I created you and I know you, and I know what's best for you. The things you leave me for, you'll chase them, they'll actually destroy your soul. The things that will draw you away from me, they can never deliver what they promise to you. Try to find life apart from my ways and you're going to find yourself chasing after the wind. But stay with me and my ways and not only will you be saved for all eternity, but I will deliver to you light, truth, rivers of living waters, wells that never run dry, strength that will never run out, grace that never runs out and never abounds, joy that never ends. In following my ways, you will find life itself. And it is this loving, guiding, protecting, gift-giving God that gives us marriage. But just like our view of God is often incomplete, I would submit that our view of marriage is also incomplete as well. When I was living in those apartments, I was caught in a vision for marriage that was about the restriction of life, not about the gift from God for life. I understood obligations of marriage, and I understood the boundaries of marriage, and I understood the restrictions of choosing life with the one, but what I was missing in understanding was God's great gift in the gift of the one. But here's the truth about me. 
Here's the truth about you. Here's the truth about every one of us. Men and women hearts always wander and wonder. Where will we find it? Where will we find peace? Where will we find contentment? Where will I find purpose? Where will I find joy? Where will I find life? From the beginning of time, people have chased endless gods. In the ancient world, they had literally hundreds of gods, hundreds. And Paul goes to visit Athens, and he sees the altars and the monuments built to these hundreds and hundreds of gods, and just to cover their bases. He sees the altar that's built entitled to the, to the unknown God. Just in case we missed it in all these hundreds, we're going to build one to the unknown God. And from that time until now, God has cried to all people, the gift is in the one. And mankind has struggled and said, it can't be. It can't be in just the one. And we've been on this endless search for the all, the many, the different, the younger, the better, the new, anything but the one. What about us enlightened folks of the 21st century? We know so much, don't we? We know so much, and yet we're even more confused and lost, I think, than ever. I find something funny, mostly sad, in the thinking that we keep thinking we're coming up with something new. We, we keep thinking that we're actually approaching the answer. You know, I'm in the publishing business, and can I tell you something? I'll guarantee you. This coming January, there is going to be a new diet series published for New Year's resolution. <laughs> Can I guarantee you that every exercise company will have redesigned their equipment and finally found the way to keep you fit? Every golf company will come out with a new driver that will allow you to hit 20 more yards. And we're going to buy them all by the millions. And sorry, ladies, a new facial cream's coming out as well. And we're going to buy them all. And yet, the truth in, a class, in Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to where we're going to find our love, our fulfillment, and our happiness. There's nothing new under the sun. But we want options. We want options, many, many options, because there's so much to gain, so much to gain, and so much we have to have. And it's in this world of chasing and confusion and all of this lostness that the Father heart of God cries out, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy with burdens, and I will give you rest, and you will find rest for your souls. Into this world chasing so many, God calls into his people and to all people the unmatchable gift of just the one. And that is what I've learned about God. And in doing so, I learned that his gift of marriage carries that same mysterious, wonderful, powerful gift of the one. Marriage is a union that reflects the same gift of the one in the world that says if you only have one, you're missing out. Marriage, as God created, is actually a living testimony to God, to the world. No, everything is and always has been in just the one. And again, before I go on, I want to make one more clarification. We believe God holds the highest value of marriage. We do not believe that he holds the same highest value on being married. That means if you're married, we hold that to the highest possible value. But it also means that if you're not married, we're not waiting for you to get married. 
until you have your highest value before God. It's right here. It's right now. God is on you, and we're going to keep challenging you to embrace life right where you're at because you are complete, right where you are, right where you stand, and you're ready to be blessed, and you're ready to be a blessing. But today we're talking about marriage, <clears throat> and my hope is that today we will all leave with a higher vision for marriage than we had when we walked in. And this may sound boring, but stick with it. We're going to talk about the history of marriage. We're going to talk about the holiness of marriage. We're going to talk about the purpose of marriage. And we're going to talk about the power of marriage. First, the history of marriage. <clears throat> if we are honest, we must admit that the picture of marriage recorded in the Bible, of marriages recorded in the Bible, it can be kind of confusing and not altogether encouraging at times. During the Old Testament times, many different marriage types were carried out and practiced inside of God's people. Abraham, Jacob, David, and Solomon all had more than one wife and in some cases multiple concubines. I've read all the reasons for why this may or may not have been. I'm not going to camp on that. I'm going to camp on one universally accepted truth. All of those extra wives, all of those extra concubines always caused trouble. <laughs> so, so, man, that's what we're landing on. And we can be confident to camp there because that's actually where Jesus himself camped. He camped on the one when some Pharisees came to try and trap him about all that junk that was going on in the Old Testament, Jesus just skips and talks about the one. <clears throat> some Pharisees came to him, Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I don't think we should look at the individual marriages of the Bible. They were flawed, just like many of our Bible heroes were flawed. I think to really understand marriage, we just have to look at the consistent and constant teaching of God's view of marriage from start to finish in the scriptures. And in that, we will see God's divine stamp on marriage. God's view begins immediately, immediately in Genesis, and with that same verse that Jesus just quoted. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. From the beginning, the view of God has been one man, one woman, leave what was before and be joined and become one. And from Genesis forward, it would be the picture of marriage lived out in purity and fidelity that God would use to illustrate the purity and fidelity and loving relationship between God and his people. It actually became marriage language that God, through his prophets, his chosen, would call his chosen people his bride. It was marriage relationships that God would use through Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Hosea to describe God's loving relationship with all his people. Always marriage language. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns himself with her jewels. And marriage language is used to speak of his joy over his people, Isaiah 62, 5. For a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so God will rejoice over you. And God gave us the romance of the Song of Solomon to highlight the wonder, excitement, joy, and love 
and the fidelity of the one. From the beginning, God created marriage, unity, and fidelity to be a living, visible reflection and testimony of the fullness and completeness of monogamous, faithful relationship to the one God. Two people living purity, faithfulness, joy in marriage would be the living reflection of the testimony of God's fidelity and love and purity and relationship with his own people. And what about the holiness of marriage? Holiness is a big and a scary word sometimes, but in its simplest form, here's what it means, to be set apart. To be set apart for one purpose, to be completely set apart for God's purpose and not for anything else. And that's marriage is holy and completely set apart to be used by God in his mission. Marriage is set apart to reflect and to testify to the promise and power and fulfillment of the one. Marriage is not a thing, it's not an action that itself is holy. It is its purpose that makes marriage holy. Marriage is holy and set apart to reflect and testify to God against every other thing. Jesus adds something that makes a strong statement about the holiness of marriage. He says, what therefore God joined together, let no man separate. Let's talk about that statement, what God has joined together. It comes with some weight. You see, God made covenants with people all through history. Covenants with Noah, there will be no more floods. Covenant with Abraham, there will be a promised land. Covenant with the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, you will be a treasure to me. Covenant with David, there will be an everlasting kingdom that comes from your people. Marriage is a covenant between two people made before God. And it is before God part that makes it holy. This was really illustrated by a couple in our church, Chris and Carly Rush. As they were married and lived on in their marriage, they realized that although they had done their vows, although they had made their claims, they had not really done it before God. And so they gathered people, and we got to redo their covenant because they knew it was the before God part that makes it holy. And we've all seen the power in that marriage, haven't we? And when you vow before God, what you vow is holy and your marriage is holy and you are set apart holy for him. Then another covenant comes along, the new covenant. Jesus comes and says, this is my blood for the new covenant, which is poured out for many in forgiveness of sins. And guess what he would use again to reflect the power and the holiness of the covenant. Again, he would use marriage language to affirm this new covenant. This church that he birthed, it would present and preach the kingdom. It would make others great. It would change the entire world. And again, it is marriage language that he uses to speak over that church. John the Baptist, having seen Jesus and knowing he's the Messiah, says this. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. The role of marriage testifying to the power of the one carries all the way through the book of Revelation. Revelation 21.2. And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, ready as a bride to adorn her husband. And then we see Paul all through Ephesians 5.20-25. Use the marriage relationship to testify to this new covenant and the power of the church that would change the world. 
Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as, the, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved a church and gave himself up for her. This mystery is great, but I am speaking of the reference to Christ and the church. You see, the purpose of our marriages are the foundational testimony to the new covenant, to the arrival of the church on earth, to the truth of Jesus bringing the power of the church to change the world. That's what our marriages testify. It is this history of marriage. It is the holiness of marriage. And it is the purpose of marriage that results in the power of marriage. Do you know, I cannot think of any other place where the ways of God collide more with the ways of the world than in marriage. Is there anything other than in marriage? The world screaming to us, just one for a lifetime? It can't be. Is there any place that it's colliding more with our messaging through everything we watch, everything we see, everything is testified? I can't think of another place that the world's testimony is colliding with God's truth than in marriage. And yet it is this monogamous relationship that God says, look, watch, observe the power of one. And when you live that out, the world doesn't have an argument for it. I've got a community of international people that I'm bringing testimony to, and you know what? They can come up with all kinds of arguments, but you know what they stop at? My marriage. They can't explain my marriage. And they don't come against my marriage. They've got to observe it and watch it. My friend, the guy that tried to pull me away, the one that I was drawn to, the one that I came this close to trading my life for. I got off a plane from Ukraine eight years ago, had a text from him, call me right away. I hadn't heard from him in probably four or five years. And I called him and I said, what's up? He goes, I had to find you and I had to tell you. I said, what? He goes, I had to find you and tell you you were right. For 30 years you were right. I've lost everything. I've lost my marriage. I've lost my family. I've lost my business. And I just had to find you and tell you you were right. That same year, Linda and I flew and celebrated our 30th anniversary. We sat on a balcony overlooking the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And I tell you the truth, we wept. And we looked and we said, could anybody have convinced us that monogamy was this good? And now do you see why I cry, almost shake, when I think I almost left it. I was that ox going to slaughter. That's the marriage of power, the power of marriage.
testimony to the world that the powers always has been and always will be in just the one. Marriage has been cynically judged by the world to be bad most of the time, okay sometimes, good seldom. But it can't be great. And to the world I say, God doesn't do okay, he doesn't do good, he only does great. Marriages are not created at the altar. They only begin there. And they begin a lifelong journey. They're a treasure. And just like any treasure, you have to mine for it. But if you mine, can I tell you what you find? And the people that are in the marriage encounter will have to put up with this because they've heard this story, but I know of no other testimonies that I leave you with. And since I got affirmed that somebody said they love this story, I'm sharing it again. I flew to Russia and I flew to, went with a man who hadn't been apart from his wife in 50 years, never, not one night apart from his wife. And at 72 years old, for some reason, he decided to go to Russia with me. Right after the wall came down, no faxes, no texts, no telephone, no communication for four weeks with his wife. At the end of that time, we were all dying to hear from our families. And we got to this one place, and Russia had this one place where they just placed this call, and we had to be in the hotel lobby. And they placed a call to the States on all of our wives, and whoever picked up would get called forward to that counter. And you'd have three minutes to talk to your family. So six of us sat there waiting. We couldn't wait for this phone call. We're just waiting and waiting. And Howard's call came in first. And he walked to that counter, and he picked up the phone. And the other of us, the young guys, were just listening to him. And here's what he said. His wife's name was Gyneth. Gyneth? Gyneth? Three entire minutes. All he said was her name. And he wept. And we walked away from that phone call and we looked at each other, the young guys, and said, I want a marriage like that. I want a marriage that after 50 years, just the sound of my wife's voice makes me cry. And Linda's parents had a great marriage and Linda's mother died of cancer too early. And as she was dying, we all went to her, her to her dad and said, dad, you gotta let her go. And he said, I know, I'm just waiting for the time that I can lie and tell her I'll be okay with her. That's the power of monogamy. That's the power of an investment in one. A love so deep that after 50 years, just a voice can make you cry. And a love so deep after 50 years, you have to lie to say that you'll be okay without me. That's the kind of marriage I want. Like I said, this message was for one purpose, to inspire us to believe in the huge vision that God has for marriage. Marriage is not okay, it's not good, it's meant to be great. And understand and be encouraged all over again that whether married or single, everything we need, everything we will always need, Everything we will want will always be found in just the one. Let's stand together. We love to give space for all of us to respond to God after a message. But it's not about the message. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. This is a time for you and God. When the word is spoken, revelation comes. Doesn't even always have to be about the topic that's being spoken about. It's just interacting with God and all of a sudden things come. 
And this is our time to respond to God. This is your time to respond to God. It doesn't matter. Maybe just this talk about God is new to you. And this talk about Jesus is something you need further understanding for. Then come forward and get prayer. Ask questions of any of these folks and they can tell you. Maybe there's something God's laid on your heart and you need to pray about that. Maybe it's totally unrelated to the message. It really doesn't matter. I do know this, we all need prayer. And so if there's anything that you need prayer for, I'm asking you, please don't leave without coming forward for prayer. This is our time to celebrate together, to be together, and to come to God together. Let's pray.